So we had the conversation many times, just honest conversation with, how do you talk to a nine or 10 year old about suicide? You just talk to them like there's somebody that you love and you care about and you don't avoid it. And if they ask you what it means, these were the conversations we would have is there is no version of this planet that is better off without you. Welcome to the Relational Parenting Podcast. I'm Jennifer Hayes, a parent coach and 20-year childcare veteran. Each week, I sit down with my own father, Rick Hayes, and discuss the complicated issues that parents face today, as well as some of the oldest questions in the book. From the latest research and the framework of my relational parenting method, we offer thought-provoking solutions to your deepest parenting struggles, or in other words, how to parent your kids without losing your mind or traumatizing theirs. Added bonuses include intergenerational wounding discussions and guest childcare experts. We will also start taking your parenting questions in episode five. So be sure to comment with your biggest questions or email me directly at Jenny at JennyB.co. Let's get started. Today, we have our very first guest, Marie Barrington Armitage. She is an incredible peak performance coach for coaches and a mindset guru who specializes in helping moms break through barriers and reach their professional goals with more ease, joy, and fun. In addition to having her MBA and coaching certification, she has over 25 years of experience in coaching and mentoring. Marie is also a mother of 14-year-old twins, a son and daughter, and has been married to her spouse for 18 years. Despite facing numerous personal challenges such as lupus and her son's chronic illness, she continues to be resilient and inspiring, always determined to help others find success. We are so excited to have Marie here today to share her story. Navigating life with kids is hard enough, but add chronic illness on top of that and you have a whole other set of challenges. This conversation ended up being really emotional for me as we dove into the realities of childhood mental health struggles and how it can so easily go overlooked. But towards the end of the episode, we go on a coaching binge about other uncomfortable topics that parents are traversing in these unique times. Marie's experience and insight are invaluable to anyone striving to create their dream life while balancing raising a family. We are here with my dad, of course, and I've got my friend and business entrepreneur colleague, Marie Armitage, Um, and she is a coach and a speaker, and she, we met through a, um, a business program that we were going through together, and she and I and a few other people kind of teamed up and made a small group, a small like study group. Um, and yeah, we've just been, we've been on this road together now for what, four or five months? No, since August, six, August, seven months now. So, um, anyway, Marie is a mom. And, uh, so I asked her to be on the podcast to share about her journey, um, being a mom and, dealing with some chronic illness in herself as well as her child and how she remained a mindful, present parent and learned new tools for dealing with uh, really hard conversations with her kids um, and how that has shaped her parenting journey 
and brought her to where she is now with her company and who she coaches. So I am going to turn things over to Marie and let her tell us all about her journey. Thank you so much, um, Jennifer. And I'm glad to be on this with you, Rick. Um, Good to meet you. Yeah, so good to meet you. Um, so what what happened with me, I think the longer that I live with lupus, the more women, people I, I found that have similar a similar way that they found out um, that they were sick. Um, so in 2010, I had um, toddler twins, a boy and a girl. And we had moved to the other side of the country, to the Bellevue, Washington area, for my husband's job. And I was finishing up my MBA program, um, but I was tired all the time. And I thought that I just had a case of the twins. Uh, So (laughs) I joined the YMCA. I um, joined as many uh, mommy groups as I could for like mom day, mom's day out so that I could just rest. And sometimes I would just rest in the car or in the lobby area so that my kids would have somebody who was taking care of them and who cared about them in a safe environment. But I could, you know, get myself, um, the care that I needed so that I could keep going. Um, and I was a stay at home mom at the time while I was finishing up my, my degree. Um, there was one day when I knew I was start, I was getting sick. Um, but I got so sick that, uh, I did what I normally do. And I found something that was low energy and I put the kids in the bathtub with just a couple of inches of water and bath toys and tried calling my husband at work. And he had been working lots of round the clock shifts at, um, Mm. not shifts, but just, he had a lot of very high pressure job at the time. Um, and I couldn't get a hold of him. So I called my sister-in-law who was uh, 22 miles away. She drove down to help me because I couldn't get off of the bathroom floor. Um, no. And uh, and I was crying. <laughs> I was like, I just no. need, I need some help. My kids are safe. Scary. I don't like need to call 911, yeah. but I need help. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, it was, it was, but I, I kept sort of, like I should be stronger than this, you know, I should be able to handle this on my own. Um, and a doctor came to our home, um, with my husband's health insurance. It was very cool that they did that. Um, it turned out I had two kidney, both of my kidneys were infected. I had a sinus infection, um, an ear infection. And when she was tapping on my back, the doctor asked, uh, what my pain number was at. And I said, maybe a four. And she, she was like, what? Um, she was very surprised that my pain tolerance was that high because she said you should be in a lot more pain than you're in uh, based on these cultures and everything that's going mm. on. And I said, I just thought everybody was in this level of pain. After and that giving was the birth, beginning. you mean? With what? Sorry. Like after giving birth, you mean? After giving birth, trying to raise twins. Um, mm. I did have a C-section, but I had preeclampsia. So there were complications there. So, so you just thought it was all like normal. I just post... thought this was normal. Yeah. yeah. You know, like. And I we just do thought that. It was we, we think other people are like us and, it, you know, it gets in the way of good communication sometimes. Well, and I well, and didn't especially... know how. 
go ahead. I didn't, I didn't know how to advocate for myself and that I even needed somebody to advocate. But once my sister-in-law was there, this person who cared about me, um, who could see it from the outside and say, this is not normal. And a doctor too, mm -hmm. who's looking at me going, this is not normal. <laughs> um, for these two people to, to do that for me, that was sort of, that gave me permission and they gave me a path forward to go down the journey of finding help. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, my husband and I went, he went with me to the rheumatologist and it took Jenny, it took mm -hmm. her 30 seconds. She walked in the door. She's like, I read your chart. Here's what you have. Yeah. She's like, you have ankylosing spondylitis, fibromyalgia and lupus. Oh, and you were just like, walking around being like, everybody feels this kind of pain. Yeah. Everybody has, you know, this type of pain in their back. And, you know, Gosh. she, you know, I, rem I remember her asking me how long it, like, if I laid down in bed at night, how long, it, like, did my back hurt? I'm like, well, of course. It always hurts. <laughs> She's like, what about in the morning? It feels like that. <laughs> what about in the morning? Like, when you sit up and everything, I was like, well, yeah, that hurts. And then I put my feet on the floor and I can't put my feet on the floor immediately. I have to, like, roll my ankles a little bit, you know, so that my feet don't hurt. She was just like... And how old were you? Um, 35-ish. Yeah. And so oh. it's, yeah. it was so funny because she was just like, no, this is Sorry, not is that how old Is that how old you are now? No, that's how old I was when... That's how this, old you were when this, this was happening. Okay. You're yeah. not supposed to ask that question. It's well, I'm not that my age. Because she... I can't. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> you look 35 now. That's why I asked. I was like, yeah. wait. Thank you. <laughs> it's my it's my Ethiopian genes. Yeah, they serve me well. My mom's my mom is from Ethiopia. Black don't crack. Mm -hmm. It's true. I can say that. <laughs> um, but yeah. So she said, actually, out of all of my symptoms, I had I had this like A and A marker that had been abnormal since my early twenties, and no doctor knew exactly what it was. It basically means there's inflammation in your body. Okay. And so no doctor really could point at exactly what was causing, like what that was attached to. So she, she was looking at all my charts, all my medical history and said, you've got four out of five. Normally we don't mark off that you have lupus until you've got like five of these symptoms. Mm. Um, Cause lupus is one of these diseases. That's sort of like a bucket for every, everyone who has five of these like 20 or something symptoms. And she yeah. said, um, you're headed in the direction. I've been doing this long enough. You're headed in the direction of getting your fifth. We're yeah. going to start treating you like you have lupus. These are the drugs that we're going to start prescribing. I will be the hub of the wheel. And uh, we are going to connect you to a chiropractor that I trust because you have fibro. And a lot of them will not know how to really treat you um, mm. with that. So fibro and um, so a chiropractor, an acupuncturist, a naturopath, um, a nutritionist uh, to help me figure out exactly what, how to make foods that were going to help my body, and um, and those, and my general practitioner. But she was the hub of the wheel, so every report came to her, and then she would adjust my meds or put me wherever she needed to. And within a couple of years, I was in remission. 
And so now I only take gabapentin before I go to sleep um, so that like pain doesn't wake me up a few hours later um, so that I could just stay out and then uh, and that's it. So I've been in remission for 10 years, which is great. So it sounds like you're real lucky to have run into the right person to treat you. I mean, none of those are naturopaths and that's not traditional AMA kind of medicine. This is somebody who I have a, I have a friend that uh, treats people. She's not a doctor. She's uh, um, um, a, a counselor, but she helps treat people with Lyme disease, guides people with Lyme disease. Cause it's a, I think another disease that's like hard to diagnose and, it's kind of a kind of a bucket thing, and it's hard to get it's hard to get treatment. It's you know people want you talk to people all the time wandering around looking for someone who can help them, and so from that standpoint, yeah. you were a little bit lucky. Um, and the thing was is that all the way through m- me thinking that this wasn't this was just the way everybody felt wasn't just me showing grit. <laughs> it was because. Ever since I was like 19, and then I found out from my rheumatologist that um, I had arthritis in my thumb. When did it start hurting? When I was 19 and I quit basketball. And she's like, so you've had arthritis since you were 19. But the thing is, is that I had all these things, um, and doctors basically told me, you're fine. Yeah. You know? And so it was like hitting a wall, and you go, okay, I guess I don't have anything that I should be worried about. Not no one would listen to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no one would um, dig deeper. No one would take your pain seriously and dig deeper for you. Or right. look at the big picture. Look at all of it and put it together. Ex- ex- yeah, exactly. Um, so so that that was basically my story with lupus. And then fast forward, so that's, what, 2012, um, that I go into remission. So a few years later, my kids start going to school, both of them. My twins are super active. My daughter's in gymnastics. My son's in parkour. They're doing like soccer and outdoorsy things because we're in the Pacific Northwest. Um, And third grade rolls around and my son starts getting stomach aches, tummy aches, and having to come home from school. Um, He doesn't want to go to parkour anymore. And I thought it was just because of his teachers. I had Mm. gone back to work full time in downtown Seattle. Um, and so, um, so I was making sure that he had like the best classes and the best, you know, coaches and all of that. As far as I was concerned, he was, he was okay. Just, he had tummy aches and the schools said that this is probably, you know, he's getting tummy aches because of it's a psychological thing. This is when kids don't know how to communicate. They're upset. It's very common for them to say that they have a tummy ache, but he was coming home regularly. I'm talking on average two days a week. So, um, 40% of the school year was what he was missing by the end of the third grade. And, um, he had ADHD. And so we had a, we had a school document for that and everything. Um, and then the summer rolls, I knew something was wrong. So I was approving every time he was staying home. We took yeah. him to his doctor and his doctor was like, there's nothing. He's, we're testing him. He's fine. Summer, summer comes. 
he doesn't want to play outside. He's already dropped parkour. He doesn't want to play outside. He doesn't want to ride his bike. I know something is wrong. He's always had a super high pain threshold. So we start pushing his general practitioner to get into the pain clinic at Seattle Children's. It took months of pushing. So now I'm taking the role that my sister-in-law took. Um, my sister-in-law and husband took for me. And yeah. I'm advocating for him because I know this isn't fake. And I don't want him to go through many years like I did before he gets some sort of diagnosis. And so these, people, these people are aware of your diagnosis, but they're not applying it to your kid to investigate. True. Absolutely right? true. They're not at all. They're just like, he's a third grade kid, you yeah. know, um, or he's yeah. eight or nine. So, um, so fourth grade starts. I make sure his school knows he's allowed to come home if he's ever in pain. Um, I will pick him up or we will make sure that he has a place to stay. And granted, now here's something too, Jenny, that I do. We have an agreement in our family that if the kids are staying home from school, if they do not have a fever, there is no TV. <laughs> there is no, if there was an event that night that you wanted to go to, you cannot go to it because you missed right. school. Right. So, um, so you have to stay home. You may read, you may, um, you can write things, you can do crafting if you really want to do crafting. I think if that had turned into something that was like blown out of control, we would have reined that in, but I gave them opportunities to do stuff with their hands, but they had to rest if they yeah. were staying home from school. If so you feel is, good enough to be up and around, you can be up and around at school, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so, uh, so he's staying home. This kid with ADHD is choosing to not be active, to yeah. be at home and to have like, be able to read. And that is basically what he's doing. Um, so I'm like, this is more evidence. Something's really wrong. So the Seattle children's pain clinic saw my son and it was almost the exact same story as me. They look at him. They're like, okay, where's the pain radiating from? And Noah said, it's all started in my lower back right here. Hmm. And they said, um, after asking him some more questions, uh, they explained to me what he has is his nerve endings, similar to phantom limb syndrome, where hmm. your nerves are telling you that there's pain. It's firing. And they're firing and they're saying that there's pain even though there is no reason it's non-productive pain. It's his brain is receiving the signals, but there is no pain there anymore. His body has healed in that place. And the designation is pain amplification syndrome. And they're seeing more and more kids with this. It is a chronic illness. Hmm. And so he had, um, so what their diet, once they had the diagnosis, again, I was just like, see, you know, to his school. I'm like, see, yeah. we have a diagnosis. We're not making this up. Um, so it's that not helps. in his head. That's it's what not it. in his head. Mm -hmm. yeah. When you were describing that, it reminds me of stories of how doctors talk to women like at the turn of the century. And it's, uh, you know, it's being hysterical. It's all in your head. It's very pat on the head, condescending. And it's like, no, 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 I need you to run some blood tests now. <laughs> Is this a precursor to... Anything to lupus, to other stuff, this, this nope. pain amplification syndrome, is this known to be the early stages of anything? It 
it's not actually, it's, um, they're seeing more of it. And I think it's just because they're able to diagnose it in these, it it especially happens to kids who are active, who get Mm. hurt. His pain was radiating from a spot in his lower back where he had gotten a pretty good road rash, um, from flipping his bike. Uh, it healed. There was still a little bit of a scar there, but his brain still hadn't received notice that this has healed. So, so the pain, because it wasn't treat, like he didn't know how to tell his brain, this is not productive. You know, it's okay. He didn't have a way to re communicate with his mind. Um, it just kept getting worse. And then we started looking at these stories of other kids with pain amplification syndrome who didn't get a diagnosis, who didn't get any treatment. And there, I heard a story about this one little girl who um, was in so much pain. She was in a wheelchair. She couldn't stand even the air from her mom talking to her. It hurt. The air movement caused so much pain. She just wanted to like, Mom, could you please pray for Jesus to take me home? I just don't want to be here anymore. Oh, it hurts too much. <sighs> so just these types of stories, I'm like, we need to fix this. So yeah, the how terrifying for you guys, terrifying. like you and your husband, to read that, that there were actual suicidal children, you yeah. know, children who wanted to to their life here to end because of this. Yeah. Yeah. Diagnosis. Well, between that and that story, and there was one more thing, um, one of the drugs Noah was prescribed was gabapentin. And for children taking gabapentin, one of the side effects is depression. There's bad side effects. Like 50% of kids, especially him being a preteen, it was, it was depression 50 percent, which means like they don't know (laughs) yeah they're just like maybe "Eh." maybe not (laughs) yeah exactly um so (laughs) so we had the conversation many times just honest conversation with how do you talk to a nine or ten year old about suicide you just talk to them like there's somebody that you love and you care about and you don't avoid it and if they ask you what it means. These were the conversations we would have is there is no version of this planet that is better off without you. Please know when you hear those voices in your head where you're so sad, talk to me, know how much I love you. And I'm here. Even if you just want me to sit and cuddle you, or if you don't want me to cuddle you, you just need me in the room. I'm here. Yeah. And, um, so by talking with, my son about that and being super clear that there's no version of this planet that's better off without him. That helped him to be very aware when he was taking the gabapentin, how it affected his mood and his personality. Mm. And if he felt more sad, he let me know. And he actually got off of that drug on his own because he said he didn't like the way it made his body feel. And the way that yeah. it made him hurt less versus how sad it made him. He's like, I would rather hurt a little bit more because I, I can control this. So let me explain how he learned how to control those nerve endings. 
having to get so sophisticated as a nine-year-old. My goodness. As a nine-year-old, right? Don't you wish you knew these types of things? So here's what they did. It's, and I was, love this team. Let me just, I just want to interject real quick, like a couple of things there that you talked about doing and that, you know, you read this story about a little girl with the same diagnosis and wanting to not live anymore. And you guys got a diagnosis, you know, and you started problem solving and, and, um, got him the help that he needed, but you took it upon yourself to proactively talk to your son about this issue, you know, whether we're calling it suicide when we're talking, when you're talking to him or you're talking about using the words, you know, Jesus wants to take me home or I don't want to be here anymore. Like it's too much and I can't handle it. You, you going in and normalizing it for him and facing it head on with him, you know, that, in my opinion, is the most powerful tool at our disposal as human beings, as parents. Um, because how many kids out there are suffering in silence thinking that they're just crazy or they don't, they're, the adults in their life don't understand yeah. them or mm-hmm. the other kids yeah. just just get this and I just, I'm just weird or I'm just whatever. So I just. And that, and that relationship didn't start right then. That, that happened because there was already a relationship where they could talk. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and yeah, addressing things head on, even though it's a really hard topic or it's an emotional topic or whatever it might be. Um, And you, being capable of doing that. And there might be people out there who are parents who don't know how to speak to something like that. And I would just, I just want to plug in, like find someone help you speak to something like that because it's too important to skip over and push aside or brush under the rug. Yeah. So anyway, good job, Marie. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Honestly, the whole time we were making it up as we go. And that's what parenthood is. So if someone is listening right now and they're thinking, I missed the mark and I didn't do that with my kid, this isn't any sort of judgment on you for missing something in the past. It's like Maya Angelou said, when we know better, we do better. And all of us are making it up as we go. Yeah. This is not a time to dwell on the past. This is these are this is information so that you can use in the future. Right. I have right, things right. in my past. Everybody you can't don't get hung up in the past. That's right. not productive. I like your word productive. Yeah. So uh, how did uh, so how did your son? You were starting to tell a story about yeah. you know your son and the gabapentin, and he was making a he'd gotten oh. to the point where he was making a choice between you know I think I can take this level of pain and I don't, you know, and I'm not wild about the drugs. How did that, how did that play out? So, okay. So when they first gave him the diagnosis of pain amplification syndrome, similar to my rheumatologist, they said, 
we are going to be the hub of the wheel here at the pain clinic. And we are going to connect you to three specific doctors that are going wow. to expedite your healing. One is physical therapy. Here's why you're going to do physical therapy, because what's been happening is your brain has been telling your body, this hurts. So you haven't been active. You haven't been able to do things yeah. and it's real pain as far as your brain is concerned. And every time you cross a line and you overdo, it's actually causing you to feel more pain and making you less likely to keep moving forward. So we're going to yep. reteach you on how to listen to your body with that physically. We're connecting you to a psychologist, a child psychologist, because we want to help you to learn mindfulness. And we're going to work with you on this um, pain wheel, um, on awareness of what causes pain. If you are uh, not just physical, but mental, emotionally. So um, three three spokes on that wheel were like the spiritual aspect, your social aspect, your, um, uh, your amount of sleep that you're getting, you know, there's all these different mm. things. We've all heard of halt, you know, like hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Um, <laughs> it was even more detailed than that. So he could yeah. look at it and say, today I'm in more pain. What on the pain wheel am I missing? And he could see that and go, Oh, I haven't, mm. I haven't talked to, you know, his social aspect had been completely pushed to the wayside because yeah. he had stopped being active. Yeah, you know, and he did, wasn't going out, out at, and to play, you know, the way that he had been before. So, um, so those, those things we were all much more conscious of. And then the last was a general practitioner who specialized in pediatric pain management. Um, and this was the man who had prescribed him the gabapentin and was monitoring it super closely so that he could help wean Noah onto it and off of it when the time came. Um, and so, um, and the, the psychologist, what she spent time with him on, uh, that blue, which I loved was not just the awareness of his body and being able to just get quiet and pay attention to how his body was feeling, but also mindfulness. And one of the things she had us practice regularly was, uh, meditation. Um, so and visualization. Wow. And this was not something I got, right? We remember mm -hmm. my, my people were all helping my physical body get better. Mm -hmm. What I was eating, they were sticking needles in me. They were manipulating my back. But what she was, what this psychologist was doing was she was helping him mentally and emotionally mm -hmm. to be able to overcome this and get on the other side of it. And it was fascinating yeah. to me. So um, in the evening before the diagnosis, we would do evening prayers and we would pray and talk to Jesus and name off five things we were thankful for, um, three things we needed God's help with, and then one thing we wanted to dream about. And then I would tell my kids to just imagine that as they were going to sleep. And then that would help them to dream about the thing, right? Great exercise. Once we, yeah, it was very right, I'm cool. Gonna, I'm, I, actually I need to start kept, doing this. <laughs> right? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and write it in a little journal. Um, uh -huh. My daughter actually is going to design journals for this and put them on Amazon because that there was one go. of her oh my God. little business ideas. Um, yeah, that's awesome. Good. 
yeah, to create some merchandise around it. Uh, but then when we got the diagnosis and we started learning about visualization and mindfulness, um, in the evening, we would spend one minute imagining being in another place and then going through all five senses. So I think we started really easy with hmm. like sitting at the beach, right? So close your eyes and imagine you're at the beach. What do you, and the easiest of the five senses to imagine is what do you see, right? Mm -hmm. So we would start with, okay, so look around. What do you see? Okay, now what do you hear? And then they got so good at this. What do you see? What do you hear? What do you smell? What do you, mm. um, what do you taste? Um, what are you feeling? And we would always end with feeling because feeling, it seems like it was the hardest one. You had to really get into it before you could yeah. start feeling mm -hmm. things. And you're telling your mind what to feel. Yeah. And you're before, when you get really good at, when you practice this enough, you find you can be really good at it and you're feeling the towel under your legs. You're feeling mm -hmm. the sand run through your fingers mm -hmm. or the water mm -hmm. on your toes. And this is actually telling his mind what is important. What is productive yeah. feeling right now? Imaginary and focus somatic on. input. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So there, mind you, my twins are like nine yeah. when they're learning how to do this. I did not get this. <laughs> In my 40s, I didn't have the right. skill. And so I'm learning this alongside them. So it got to the point where in the evenings we would do our prayers and then we would do our visualization, our imagination. And we'd go on um, these little three-minute vacations. And my son had like five different hotspots that he picked. Like one was camping and another one was at the top of a mountain and then one was on a beach and one like, so his little no, active he, heart, his totally little, like, active. I want to do everything heart. <laughs> exactly. So then he would pick, right. So he's like, mom, so we're going camping. I'm like, great. So what do you see? And he's like, okay, it's evening and we're sitting around the campfire. Um, and I see our, um, our pets and he had like a pet wolf and I had a pet hummingbird and it was so Aww. detailed, Jenny, by the end, he like had, this is, you can see Orion in the distance Aww. and this is happening and we could still taste the hamburgers in our mouth from earlier. And I can smell the hot mm. chocolate because you just made that for us and we're holding that and it's warm in our hands. And then it's time to go to sleep. And by doing that right before he goes to bed, He's telling his mind, I don't have to pay attention to this pain because the pain is not productive and I don't want to feel it right now. Yeah. I want yeah. to feel the hot cocoa, the warm hot cocoa mug in my fingers. I have I some control over my perceptions. I mean, the right? meditation you mentioned and stuff at a young age. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And my daughter. So, so then I started doing this with my daughter too, right? Because I'm spending all this extra time with one child. I can't ignore the other one. Right. Um, well, it's like it will help her too, right? Exactly. And yeah. through this whole time, I had so much mom guilt that I was dealing with about I went back to work and I didn't catch, could I have caught this sooner? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and uh, I want to make sure that my daughter doesn't feel like she's not important because she's not chronically ill and what about my marriage? And maybe you need to make sure that that's prioritized right and that I'm doing all the things that I need to do um, in order to create a healthy home environment. 
you know, yeah. because that yeah. all lands on me on top of working downtown and helping kids with chronic illness, kid with chronic illness. Um, so this time at night was a great opportunity for, for us to reconnect in the evenings. Yeah. I love that you called them, you started calling them little vacations because I think meditation for adults, especially, you know, introducing something to kids, it can be a little bit more exciting, but for adults, it's like a to-do list checklist thing. And it's like, okay, I got to make sure I meditate today, you know, um, self-care, you know, whatever, just add it to the list of all the things I need to do to take care of myself. But I feel like calling it like, I'm going to take my little three minute vacation, like Mm -hmm. just saying it out loud in my body, I got excited. And right. was like, oh, well, that sounds like fun. Like, I want to do that, you know, yeah. and I get yeah. to do that. Yeah. So I love that you, that you, you did that, whether you did that, you know, cause it was a more familiar kid language or whatever reason it was. I think that was a really effective tool. Um, we're going to go on vacation together. Yeah. It's fun. Exactly. Well, so where so are we smart. going tonight? What a great tool. Mm-hmm. And so, and they each got to pick their own. So everybody got to pick where they wanted to go on vacation. (laughs) Exactly. And they're so different. My kids are so different. So like, he's got a very one, one type of imagination and it's very practical in the real world. This is what it would look like and Mm. et cetera. And my daughter's was like, we're in this imaginary place in this cave and we're like hanging out on floaties and it's the even, you know, like the sun or the moon is moonlight is sh- streaming through and her favorite doll is there and she has her own floaty and I have mine and it's got like a <laughs> unicorn on it. Like it's, it's completely different. Imagination. A little more roaming. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And they, they got to control so little, um, in, in their world, but this, they yeah. had free, like yeah. they could totally control themselves, um, where, where we were going. And yeah. it was it was very very powerful for both of them. They should well, just teach this to, in school. To Part witness, of the curriculum. right? For you, for the kids to have like it gives them autonomy and it gives them control and it gives them these these mindfulness tools and the ability to direct their thoughts and focus on what they want to focus on instead of just letting things run rampant and wild and. Like the pain is the biggest thing. So that's what I'm going to focus on. Like, no, I'm going to choose where my focus goes. But it also gives your kids a a moment where you are just witnessing them and their feelings and their imagination and like what they can come up with. And it's like their moment almost on stage. Um but it's not for anyone else. It's just to be witnessed by someone who loves them and to go on a journey, like bring you into their journey and bring you into their inner world and for them to be in charge um, and to like show you themselves. Very intimate. And that's so, it, it is, it's so intimate and it's so relationally important and for building those bonds like that is a moment that your kids I guarantee you if you were to ask them about it in 10 years 15 years 40 years like they would remember that shit if you were like what was one of your favorite things about your childhood they'd be like well you know they'd be like you know the bedtime meditations we love I loved that yeah yeah that'll make an imprint that'll leave a mark Yeah. yeah 
which was so yeah i i truly hope so it was impactful for me and so yeah. um so what we we do with that now now that they're 14 yeah a few years later um we still have Teenagers. like 30 second vacations <laughs> yeah teenagers it's very different i will just say that <laughs> elementary and middle school did it did it change totally, just a little bit just a little <laughs> and then you throw covid into the mix and that oh. whole conversation oh. Oh. Ooh, so many of these things were so helpful we didn't know that we were going to need to have tools to figure out how to control what we were thinking about yeah. And how we wanted to feel and yeah. that we had the ability, like how useful that tool in our tool belt is to be able to say, you know what? I'm getting super stressed out. I'm closing my eyes and going to the cabin. Taking a little vacation mm. here. Yeah. Just going to inhale in, in um, Seattle and then I'm going to exhale and I'm in the mountains. Doesn't and cost anything. Just a couple of minutes. Didn't cost anything. And you feel your shoulders drop. Yeah. And you feel wind blowing on your face, even though you're inside. And you feel the sun on your head, even though you're, you're sitting indoors. on the porch. <laughs> you're sitting on the porch. You know what I mean? Somatic hallucinations. <laughs> a friendly unicorn trots in the woods. <laughs> right. I you tied up in the backyard. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. Right. <laughs> Gotta have fun. Hopefully not that far off the bell curve. <laughs> not too far. We're good. But doing the, giving yourself a chance to take a vacation from the stress is so helpful mm. um, emotionally and physically. And these are those types of skills that weren't taught to me as an 80s kid mm. um, in school. They weren't normalized. The conversations around self-care, What's that? It was yeah. Calgon, take me away. That was like the extent of the commercials <laughs> on TV. For that's what self care is. All you need yeah. is a hot bath, and you should be fine. Yeah, get right. back out there and run. Um, or, or a snort of Irish Spring soap. That commercial where they smell the soap. And they go, you know, it's like there's cocaine in the soap or I something. Like it was, I thought that was a particularly unhelpful. Yeah, <laughs> but like that whole. The, oh, there's that, a business idea. Um, Right. Okay. And in soap. soap. <laughs> I think there's CBD soap. Fly off somewhere. the shelf. <laughs> Fly off the shelf. Indeed. But um, yeah, those tools, they don't give them to us. You know, it's it's rugged individualism, you know, America. Mm -hmm. the, those are not tools that were taught in school. <clears throat> right. it's, it's, it's PE. It's, it's Nine weeks up. of meditation, you know, or something yeah. in PE. Yeah. Hmm. I don't now, know. There were a couple of other things that happened here that I want to make sure that I point out that I hope are encouragements to other parents who have children with chronic illness. Yeah. One was with the school. So mm -hmm. having a kid who already has ADHD and an IEP and who is um, who already missed so much school in the third grade, yeah. Yeah. Um, I had conversations with their principals and their teacher, their te his teacher, um, where they were telling me that I was wrong, basically, yeah. uh, to so. be parenting mm. my kid the way that I was parenting my kid, mm -hmm. and that he needed to be in school more, 
and I, I just needed to basically to tell him to white knuckle it through yeah. and make it the and American to way. just come, you know, that's bootstrap. Well, Suck it up. Let's knuckle. go. Yeah. Suck it up yeah. buttercup. Right. Yeah. Um, and, uh, that's why when we did get the diagnosis, it was so helpful to go back into the vice principal's office and to say, actually, yeah, yeah, let me show you this piece of paper. Right? Yeah. He's, been in, he's been in pain he's for been, months. Yeah. And I'm yeah. not saying we're keeping score about who's right, but I'm right. Um, and <laughs> it does feel good. It is, <laughs> it's not polite to say it out loud, but it does feel good. Yeah. It Sorry, does. I know my child better than you. Thanks. I do. <laughs> I told you he has a high pain threshold and you guys didn't believe me. Um, yeah. and so, so doing that and continuing to be your kid's advocate and continuing to stand up and push with respect, push back on authority yeah. and allow my kid to see that I get it, honey, that they may not believe you. And kids in your class may be looking at you and going, oh, I didn't know if you were going to come to school today, you know, and just low yeah. key yeah. not include him or whatever yeah. it is because we didn't depend they think on he, you. Yeah. yeah. Well, they thought he was getting away with something. Right. Because that was like teacher, a passive aggressive comment from, from teachers. Like it was just unnecessary. Like you don't need to say that to a child who did in fact show up and you should just be happy and be like, I'm so happy to see you. I'm so happy you're at school today. Welcome. Yes. Jenny, do you want to teach third grade? Cause he could have used you. <laughs> no, I've but, been a teacher. I didn't last yeah. very long. <laughs> I know if there are, if you are a teacher out there and you need some coaching on how to help your kids, <laughs> your girl, um, or me, I can, I can talk with you a bit too. So it so it was a real battle with the school. I mean, yeah. I mean, you you were fortunate again. I call it fortunate. I mean, you worked hard at this, um, but but you kind of had to go at at the uh, government system. The, you know the the, the system, system. There yeah. you go. That's a, with another piece of the system. I mean, you have to work in the system to to get that done, and you got that done. That's that's terrific. Yeah. Um, when you stood so, up for your kid and your kid got to witness that and feel your support and yeah. like, like I will back you, I will believe you. And even if in some world there's a kid out there who was faking it and you happened to back them up and you found out later that, that they were faking it. One, there's a reason they were faking it. Maybe they were getting bullied. Maybe they, you know, maybe there was something happening at school that they weren't comfortable with. Like there's always a reason. But if you, you backing him up in the face of adversity helps him build his own resilience and confidence, knowing how he should expect to be treated and that he should be respected and that he is an honest kid. And so he's going to trust you in the future too. And he's going to yeah. come to you with things when it's not so easy to come to you with things. Like when he yeah. messes yeah. up in the future and makes mistakes, like that is a huge building block for him to come to you and get safe problem solving versus mm -hmm. trying to fix something or hide something and it becoming dangerous or hurtful. So I just wanted to. Yes. Yeah. All of that. Give you props. And that, all that, of that was an intentional goal of mine. Yeah. 
was to make sure that there was, I heard this many times about preteens, is to continue to create open communication and help them to see you as their advocate Mm-hmm. And to for them to see that you, if nobody else in the world believes them, that you believe them, believe in yeah. them, so that when I, and so they see this now, so that when I call them out mm-hmm. on their shit, they know that I'm doing it with love. Yeah. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to, at now at 14, I don't coddle them, but I also mm-hmm try, I try to help coach them if they want mm-hmm. advice, if they'll take it. Cause this, yeah. this is another conversation is, would you like advice? Have, have they asked yeah. for it? Yeah. Yeah. Would you, would you, I'm approaching this conversation with zero emotion. I appreciate hearing it. So please feel free to share any, anything that you want to share with me. If you'd like advice, I I'm happy to give it, but not without you asking me. And if yeah. there is something that I feel like you need to hear, I'll ask, would you like some advice? And you can tell me no, and it's okay. That's a mistake yeah. I made a lot. Jenny and I talked once, I think it was on, on an episode, yeah. about how I would, uh, part of the divorce, shorten my time with the kids. And so mm-hmm. I was running around brain dumping on them all the time. And it didn't make, didn't have the desired effect on my kids of being little sponges and absorbing that for what it is, you know, it made them feel like I was, didn't have any confidence in their abilities, which is the opposite of what I was consciously trying to do to build confident, confident, competent kids, which I got somehow anyway, (laughs) but yeah. 10 years of therapy? No. So much therapy. So that, you know, that, that step of, of, uh, you know, say, well, do you, what do you want? You know, this is, we're working on a problem together here, yeah. pal. Um, what do you want? You want advice? You want what? And coach them into asking for advice, maybe a little bit when they're lost or let them go bang their head on a wall for a while. I mean, that's sometimes very educational too. let them choose how they want to do it. Absolutely. Great or idea. sometimes they just need emotional support they just need someone to hear it and witness it and be like that sucks i'm sorry yeah yeah absolutely and that that i've seen happen uh, uh, quite a bit i mean they're teenagers so and i try to encourage them that in our family we celebrate failure so go out and try Mm because you're 14 now and people are going to be receiving your failure a completely different way than they will if you're 30 (laughs) Yep. You know, or a college graduate or whatever. So go yeah. and try now. Yeah. And go ahead and mess up. It's okay. Yeah. That's <laughs> the best first in, in person, visceral. That's the best way to learn. Right? right. Not just reading a book. Right. 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 When we were talking before the episode, when we were, well, when we were putting together the episode and the things that you wanted to talk about, Marie, you had mentioned how much you were judging yourself when you were a professional mom and working outside the home and your child was struggling with all these things. Um, You mentioned to me that you yourself then sought out coaching once you saw the, the 
benefits of the psychology that your son was receiving for his pain management. Um, you mentioned that you were like, oh, well, maybe this would help me too. So not only did you enter the mindfulness practices with him and integrate those into your family, but you then also sought your own coaching or counseling as well. Um, and I yeah. just want, I want, yeah, I would love for you to talk about that a little bit because parents, I think, need to hear that, that they're not, they don't have to go at these things alone. Absolutely, they do not. So, um, thank you uh, for giving me an opportunity to share about that piece. <laughs> because yeah. when you're working full time, with fathers and mothers, I've spoken with my spouse about this, um, and he had the similar similar feelings, there's a lot of guilt associated with, could I have done something differently to Mm -hmm. help my kid? Um, There are a lot of, I could rant about (laughs) work-life balance yeah, and how that there's no such thing. I I don't think (laughs) there's any such thing. I think I read in a working mom's magazine, a long time ago that there's no such thing as work-life balance. There are choices Mm -hmm. that we make. And so some days I choose to attend the all hands meeting at work. And some days I choose to miss the all hands meeting to be at my kid's soccer game. Yeah. And both of those come with consequences and blessings. Yeah. So I have to make choices and move forward. It got to the Mm -hmm. point for me um, in 2019, got to the point with me where I was burning myself out. I was catch. I started feeling like more lupusy, more fibro mm-hmm. flares were happening. Um, yeah. I was stressing myself out, flying all over the world, um, for my job, and trying to manage what was going on with my son. My husband's amazing, so but it was a full-time job to yeah. help him with all the stuff that was going on. Um, so I put in my resignation at my mm-hmm. workplace uh, because through, <laughs> through meditation and figuring out what do I really want, I realized what I really wanted was to be able to be available again, that we were okay when it came to money. I had the privilege um, of taking the money that we had saved and resigning. Um, and then, um, we ended up going on this big trip as a family and talking about what we want to see in the future. Mm. Um, and after coming home, the pandemic kicked off. Uh, we got home in January and in March schools were closing, um, because of the pandemic. So, it was wow. good timing on the month long right. trip. Um, but I started, I, so I got a coach myself. Uh, mm-hmm. I wasn't coaching myself. I hired a coach to <laughs> teach me yeah. how to, um, how to be more, not just more mindful, but about, um, the, the studies of like Dr. Thurman Fleet and the connection between the mind And the body and the actions, Mm. your thoughts, your feelings, your actions, um, the Bob Proctor lessons that he, he gives, um, 
and um, and she was all she's also a woman of color, um, and I, she's still my coach to this day, and I'm mm-hmm. certified in her her coaching methodology. Mm-hmm. Um, so now I get to coach women, professional moms especially, on how to start practicing these. And like, I think one of the giveaways that I gave you, um, Jenny, is a, a number that they can text. Anybody who's listening mm-hmm. to this can text that guides mm-hmm. them on that 30-second vacation if they'd like that to help to help them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> relax I'm gonna use a it. bit into <laughs> that into the mindfulness practices yeah. how to go ahead and go through your five senses um, with with meditation and by doing that you start learning how to receive um, how to receive the information that you want to receive instead of just sort of being tossed around by yeah. all of the external factors that are around you all day long yeah. Life being life. Yep. Life mm-hmm. being life. And so I take, now I take my, my business background and 25 years of mentoring and coaching and, uh, my certification and my family, um, mm-hmm. life coaching. And I help, I help professional moms to get past all of the roadblocks that they have their mindset yeah. roadblocks so that they can live the life that they want to live with more yeah. ease, joy, and fun. So I'm trying to be the person that I would have loved to have around for me um, mm-hmm. back in 2018 and 19 when what was going on in my family was going on and I needed the support so that I could stay working or choose to stay home um, based on what I really wanted instead of yeah. feeling like, I have to do things a certain way um, yeah. based on what I, what I knew, my limited understanding. Or the, or the influences around you or the expectations of society or, yeah, yeah. and you could just get quiet with yourself and create your own path. And sometimes that takes an external witness to help us pull all of that apart and I actually once, this just popped up, I once told my my therapist that she, we had been, to, you know, working together for three or four years. When I said this to her, I told her that she helped me lay out all the puzzle pieces of my life. And then we looked at them. And I got to choose which ones I picked up and put together to form the life Mm -hmm. I actually wanted to live. So I took it all out, took it all out of here, got it all out with her over sessions and sessions and sessions. Um, And I put it all out. It's like we put it all out on the floor. And I just I only picked up the pieces that I wanted to carry forward with me. And I got to leave everything else behind. Um prioritizing or finitizing or yeah that sounds like a great exercise for anybody and imagine if everyone in the world especially parents who are responsible for some other human being's life and wellness and well-being what if they all had an external witness that could just help them objectively look at things pull things apart 
and make choices based on who they are and who they want to be versus the needs and opinions of everyone around them, even the most well-meaning partners or friends or family members can have can have deep influence on you and can pull you off track of who you, who you truly are um, or where you truly want to go. So anyway, yeah. Well, it's like any skill. If you talk with somebody, you know, uh, carpenters and, you know, IT guys, whatever, there's always people who have gone before. And it just speed things speeds things up if you talk to somebody who's done it before, um, before you embark yeah. on a project. I love that there's so much of this available. You know, in 1980s, having you guys, uh, you know, that was pretty hard to come by. You know, the internet was still 15 years away, and you had to go to the library to read papers, and it was uh, not nearly so much of this kind of information freely available and uh, let alone all the coaching and I don't even know if the coaching business existed like that. I was going to say then. it's only the last like 10-ish years that coaching has even been a thing. Yeah, so this is this is this is great to to be able to put this out there and also for parents to be able to pick this up and get a little dose of it on a pet podcast or have the option of calling you two and getting an intense, an intense, uh, <laughs> concentrated session. Um, yeah, that's weird. That's that's just that's just such a great thing, such a re- great resource resource to know is out there. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So, I'm I'm happy to. I'm really grateful that I had a chance to go through everything that I did with Mm -hmm. myself and then before so that I could be that person for my son that I needed when I was sick and I was able to collapse time for him. And now with my coach, my coach helped me to collapse time so that I could get much further and figure out, oh, look at this whole string of times all through my life. My favorite part of every job was coaching and mentoring. Yeah. Maybe I should be a coach and mentor. Yeah. yeah. And then she starts a certification program and I'm like, I want to be one like that. So, yeah. um, so I'm, I'm just doing what I can to learn as much as I can to help collapse yeah. time for professional moms. And, and that by that, I mean people who have full-time jobs who also happen to be a parent and help them collapse time on their own mindset and their own um, hurdles to help them to get to where they want to be so that they don't have to spend. And Rick, to your point, I think the stuff was probably out there, but it was like in journals or medical books or you had to know somebody who was a therapist or it wasn't really in the bottom shelf. Like now you can sit on TikTok and watch shorts and learn all this. Some of it granted, you should probably research on your own to see exactly how true it is. But (laughs) there's, again, it's like, choose what information you want to put in your brain. But, but there's so much more out there to help us, um, 
to be more mentally healthy so that we can be what we need to be. So we break our own generational curses and we can help our children not have to live a life that was already lived by their ancestors, right? So they can live somewhere mm, in a different, yeah. different place. We can break Take those, like those curses too. Building like on the, the shoulders of giants. That. Yeah. They don't yeah. have to relive the same life. Nope. Yeah. If you're always figuring mm-hmm. it out for yourself, toughing it through, then you're going to do just about the same thing. You go just about as far as anybody else in starting in your position with yeah. your capabilities. You have to draw on other people's capabilities to go further, faster, start higher, whatever, yeah. whatever the circumstances are. You know, you gotta, you gotta look for help. Look for that's a good metaphor. Got to be a better way to say that. Can yeah. start start with a coach or a therapist. You can start from their their healed place. Start from their stand on their healed platform of information yes. of having already done all of this. I've already, like I've already done it all. I've already done all of that crap back yeah. there that you're about to put yourself through. Like stand on our platform of of healed, more healed or whatever, skip mm-hmm. over all of that and like step forward into, into who you want to be, or, you know, at least yeah. like it's a, it's, it's almost like a, it's like a privilege thing here. Have the privilege of not having to go through what I went through here. I will hand That's you this exactly privilege, like this platform to step off of, to launch off of, um, those are some, yeah, I like those metaphors. Have, have you seen that? Have you seen that video with the with the guy that's doing the privilege exercise with the kids? And it's like, you yeah, know, like on the football field. Did you have field? two parents? Did you yeah. have you ever not eaten? And da da da. And they're all yes, starting yes, of course, half a football field ahead. <laughs> but boy, you know that has nothing to do with your personal experience. The the ability, and you can. You know, coaching gives you the chance to cherry pick. Everybody has different circumstances and starts in different places. You yeah. know, it's it's still not like one coach is going to have all of your answers and have all of your experiences. It's just that they will have learned a thing or two and you can, you know, like a like a good self help book or meditation, you can you can pick and choose starting where you're at and uh um, build from there, but there, you know, there's no point in not talking to somebody who's who's gone through a couple of the battles you're fighting. That's yeah, yeah. and you know, as somebody who is who my entire life has considered myself African American, um, mm-hmm. I have been othered a majority of my life. Hmm. Um, I can't even tell you how many times people look at me and they're just like, "What are you?" Growing up, um, <laughs> I actually lived in one town. That sounds familiar. Who says that? Lived, what yeah. are you? A human. What are what you? Are you? <laughs> so wait, so what are you then? And I'm yeah. like, I'm, yeah. I'm African-American or my dad's from Texas. So Texiopian because my mom's from Ethiopia. Texiopian. Um, I like that. So it's a, uh, there was one city we lived in where, and I'm, I went to 11 schools before I graduated college oh my um, God, because my wow. dad was in the army. You're, right. you're, you're, you're a military, military brat. Yeah. Brat. <laughs> yeah. And my dad was enlisted. So not one of like, you know, officers, brats, kids. No, yeah. no, no, no. Oh, my husband will appreciate um, this. 
he was enlisted. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it was, <laughs> he wasn't an officer. He was, he was enlisted, um, yeah. and retired after 20 years. And so there was one city we lived in where my mom was the black lady. Oh, your mom's wow. the black lady. Wow. That's gotta be tough. So it was, it was a very, and I didn't really fit in with one group or the other group. Like I wasn't. Mm -hmm. So having that, and I'm the youngest of like five kids and there's all this stuff from my childhood. He's the youngest of five. I don't. That's Papa so weird. Rick. <laughs> <laughs> That's so weird. Tell your story. Tell your story. Okay. I will. Um, Sorry. I'm like, what? Be still my heart. Um, right. So, so I have, um, so I have all of this, like my mom not being raised in the United States and my dad marrying somebody who spoke four languages before she spoke English. Cool. And he was traveling a lot when I was a kid. So I was raised mainly by my mom. My mom was extremely othered everywhere we went. Um, people would try talking to me instead of talking to my mom because my English was like it was my mm -hmm. first language and they're mm -hmm. like oh she has an accent so she must not understand oh my gosh those people <laughs> anyone oh who can learn english reason. and they didn't they weren't born into english speaking family anyone who learns to speak english i am in awe of like yeah it is a ridiculous Same. language and and anyone who can speak more it than one language yeah. like yeah jesus Nothing but respect. <laughs> yeah. She, so my mom is so my hero. She left her home country yeah, to brave. live with this man who's like a Texan redneck. I love my daddy. <laughs> I love my daddy. Um, but he's he's just he's very it's just like a completely different culture. But she has yeah. generational tra trauma, like tying back to your previous um, podcast. My dad has his own that both of them broke, mm -hmm. you know, like those, those chains for mm -hmm. us, there wasn't a single day in my life when my dad was home, when he didn't tell me, I love you. It was very different than the childhood he had. Um, and then there are things that I do with my kids that are completely different than my parents because I'm trying to do better by them, you know? Yeah. And so I think it helps to know. So if you are listening and you have had like a chronic illness or you've been othered or you've been through any of, of these types of things, there are people like me who can help you like Jenny, who can help you with your parenting. And we're here to support you through this whole process because yeah. you, you may not have the answers, but we may have them and borrow tools from our toolbox. Absolutely. The way Jenny said, yeah. You know, stand on our healing and not to say that you are exactly us because it's going to hit you different. But when I yeah. talk with my people that I'm coaching, um, sometimes they are, they look at where I'm at and they go, yeah, but I, they have their own judgments about themselves as to why yeah. they don't deserve or why they can't yeah. receive or yeah. they can't mm -hmm. be at that place. Unworthiness. Yeah. Yep. That Yeah. And so being able to sit with them and to go through 
the judgments that are standing in their way and reframing it, you know? So I was told I was bossy when I was a kid. And then what judgments are associated with that? Well, that if I stand up for myself, that I'm being bossy and people won't like me. Okay. Well, we can forgive ourselves for having that, allowing ourselves to listen to that. Yeah. And then reframe it and refill that space with, I am a leader. I am a, a wave maker. I am someone who can walk through through the current or against the current and people follow me in my wake mm-hmm. and their lives are much more easier, much more easy as a result of my existence. Yeah. And that's way more empowering than I am bossy because that's associated with all the teachers that wrote that in your report cards. Right. And who and who gave that to you? Because when you say I am bossy, that you didn't you didn't make that statement. You didn't come up with that. You didn't decide you're bossy. Someone else else put that on you and projected that story onto you based on their own perceptions and experiences and society bullshit. Like you, do you think you're bossy? Do you feel bossy? No. Okay. So let's come up with a different word for it. Yeah, most people are trying to be helpful or something. My favorite book on yeah. that subject is uh, The Four Agreements by... I love that. Yeah. Something like and that. That's yeah, free yeah. It's online. like, don't take things personally. Oh, is it online free? Mm-hmm. Cool. I buy oh, them and give nice. them to people. Um, yeah. Because it, cause it re- really, it's a thing in my head now is is... Don't let plant don't let people plant th- plant thoughts like that in your head if you can avoid it. That's uh, that's their stuff, not mine. You know. That's I love that we're talking about the term bossy though, because right? that can have. Sorry, um, no, for interrupting. Uh, I love that we're talking about the word bossy because somebody somewhere, the way that they said it was like, that's a bad thing because you're a girl or because you're of color or because you are a minority. That's a bad thing. Yeah. When is it? Mm -hmm. When now, now that I run my own business, I'm like, when was it bad to be a boss? I was like, you're damn right. I'm bossy. Exactly. But the way that it was said to us was like, that's a bad thing. And that yeah. there's so many, um, so, so those many layers. are people, yeah, so many layers. Book a so, session. And scene. Yeah. It's, a, <laughs> it's, that whole, it's that whole thing about the stories that we tell ourselves. Who are you coming mm-hmm. up with? I like, I call them I am statements, but Mm, the statements about yourself that are true that you want to hear and saying those over and over again. I actually have a recording of my dad reading a list of like 40 I am statements that I came up with about myself to Mm. me that I listen to every night Mm. because he tells me you are this, you are that. You are, and it's my dad. It's somebody that I respect and love. A yeah. voice saying this to me, yeah. to to help wow. rewire my subconscious. Rewire. Now so, there's so a tool. That, yeah, so that later, these are the Oof. types of things that I do. Is that I help people come up with the I am yeah. statements that they want, so that they have that list. And it's so powerful to have it. Mm-hmm. Um, I have other people who have taken that, or I have other other clients 
who have taken those I am statements and they'll put them in as a calendar reminder, or there's yeah. like this free app called beat me that you can use and you can actually have it send you a reminder that you are something <laughs> like, so you'll yeah. get this right reminder, this beat me that says you are a wave maker. Yeah. You know, it's like a reminder. That's so I struggle with affirmations because I'm like, when it comes for whatever reason, if I just look in the mirror and I'm like, I am this, I am that, like, I feel silly. And I know that I'm not the only person that struggles with that, but I have found that reading it on a screen. So if I write it out, like in a note or I do like a reminder, calendar reminder, and it pops up and I like my brain takes a second and goes, Oh, and then I go, Oh yeah. Like this external intake of information or like you, you had your dad record saying those statements to you. Like how powerful to have a parent's voice saying those things to you later in life and rewiring your brain in that way, because that voice is so ingrained and so like you have such a, such a reaction inside of your body to that voice authority to hear it Hmm. incoming into your brain. Like you're absorbing it. You're taking it in versus like, you know, I don't know, trying to output it and make yourself believe it. Like it's almost like you're feeding it to yourself instead. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's been my disconnect before, before I was around my current coach, um, and her name is Hina Khan. Um, before I was, uh, before I met her, I, I had zero emotional connection to like mantras. I tried them. Mm. They felt silly. What, she helped me to learn how to do and what I coach people on doing is taking those I am statements Mm -hmm. or taking that belief that you want to have. Um, and Jenny, it sounds like you already have some for yourself and actually sitting in the feeling of already having them. Yeah. Mm. Taking, so like taking that 30 second vacation instead of a vacation somewhere like Bora Bora, which I've never been to, but I can look at a picture and I can imagine yeah. Instead of taking a 30 second vacation there, taking a 30 second vacation to the place where I'm already doing what I want to do and I'm showing up exactly how I want to show up. Yeah. So what am I doing? So when I walk into the room, what is the vibe I'm giving off? What am I wearing? What does, you know, like how are people interacting with me? And I go through mm-hmm. those, that type of visualization. Like if all of these I am statements are true, yeah. What does then that look like? What does what that feel does like? What does that look like? Yes. Yeah. 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 Very so cool. that leaning into the feeling of it is what also helps reprogram our subconscious. And I love what you said about hearing it in your parents' voice, mm-hmm. because that even tied back to my kids. Something that I've, yeah. my husband and I try to be super intentional about is what words we say to them, especially in high pressure environments. Yeah, yes. especially when you're upset and emotional. Yeah, especially when we're upset and emotional, or when they're trying something new. Because again, I said that mm. thing about failure. Like we try to celebrate failure in our family. So if yeah. they're at a playground and they're climbing up something, instead of that's too high, you're going to hurt yourself. We say <laughs> you have a great sense of your body. If you can climb up, you can climb down. 
You've got mm-hmm. this. I believe in you. If you fall, it's no big deal. We have insurance. Those are things that I used to say them all all the time. Pain is temporary. The worst thing that can happen is... The worst thing that happens is we've got to call for help. And guess what? We're in the United States and I can call for help. And it's no big deal. I don't anticipate that happening because you have a great sense of your body, which I honestly think is part of why my son went into parkour because... And he had the confidence in the first and second grade to run up the warped wall, you know, and kick off his shoes and just sort of do the things because he was like, I have a great sense of my body. I know how to do this. Mm. I can do it. I can picture myself getting to the top so I can do it. Teach you not to work on the feared fantasy stuff of, uh, you know, falling or whatever, you know, it's like, yeah, just go on. What's the worst can happen? Instilling right. confidence instead of fear and anxiety of, of everything. Be careful. Be careful. Oh, but be careful. Be careful. It's like, mm, stop yeah. saying be careful to your kid. Because <laughs> what you focus touched. on grows, right? So if you yep. focus on the fear of hurting themselves, yeah, that's what they will that's be. That's what's going to happen. They will be yeah. fearful. And yeah. you shouldn't be surprised when it happens. I wouldn't be yeah. surprised if it happened. You know, I always if, tell parents that if you're trying to stop a behavior, um, whatever the motivation is behind the behavior, the emotion, like whatever, has any of that been addressed? But if you're trying to like in a moment, you just need it to stop. Yeah. Don't even don't talk about the behavior. Don't talk about what they're doing. Don't address it. Don't pay it any attention. What you're going to do in your mind is form a sentence that is a direction that is the opposite of what they're doing. And it's not, and it's never going to start with stop or don't. You create a sentence that is a proactive directive of what you want them to be doing. So if they are throwing blocks at your baby and you want them to stop, instead of saying stop throwing blocks or we don't throw blocks, you say, please put the blocks down. I'm I'm going... I'm going more extreme. And if it's a brick, say, drop the brick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or yeah. like for, for us, if it was, if it was um, hitting, when they were super small, especially when they were yeah. hitting, it was, we use gentle touches. Yeah. Let's use gentle Can you show touches. me gentle? Yeah. Oh. Let's do it. Oh, gent- you want to touch your sister? Oh. There you oh, go. How do you do That's that so with gentle nice. hands? Good job. Right. <laughs> We know this. And it's the distract and redirect, too, because suddenly now the or even with the blocks, it's like, oh, can you tell me what color the block is? Then suddenly they're like, oh, there's a block in my hand. Yeah. You just jump in and you're like, oh, my gosh, what color is that block that you're holding? And they'd be like, yeah, exactly. It's just like I can do that as adults. We can do that to ourselves. (laughs) Yes. I love I love all the tools you guys are throwing out there. I like the me- the metaphor, right. the analogy, whatever of of it's. Uh, I think one that appeals to guys is you know pick up. I'll you know loan loan people tools. You know that's yeah. a great that's a great metaphor. I mean, I need a tool for this situation. Hey, I use tools all the time. That is not just a guy metaphor. Yes, ma'am. And I bought you some of them before you went to Colorado. I I fixed you yeah. up with tools. That was some ten tools. years ago, tools. and I have. I know. All yeah. of my own, and I put all of my own shit up. Yeah, mm-hmm. I know you do. No, but uh, I renovated yeah, our bathroom, people, so I totally like get a, it. Yeah. People just got like a thirty-minute free coaching session of all the 
brain dumping. These <laughs> are helpful. Yeah. This just, is the point, right? We I know. Get... It's like, it's just endless. We're like, let's. Just, I just want to tell everyone all the things. That's the thing is that it's not a, this is something that um, I want to share and I want to help, yeah. especially um, my, my heart goes out more yeah. than, more than anything else. I think I'm, because I was, I keep saying othered, but somebody told me that word and I'm like, that's it. That's what I was. Yeah. But when I, when I talk with people who were, um, traditionally marginalized growing yeah. up, my, um, my sisters of color, my, um, guys who are not from the United States, my, um, Oh my goodness, the military kids out there, the kids who had to move all the time. Yeah. Um, my LGBTQ plus friends, um, my overweight friends, my, you know, I could keep going. Uh, my friends yeah. who have disabilities, yeah. all of them, especially, I feel like they are more often than not, because we were the other, we're expected to fit in to the mold of the majority and mm -hmm. we have to change in order to fit their them as opposed to yeah. them learning how to include us. So those yeah. people more than anything, I found myself being more attracted to serve and to help. Yeah. Um, I hope that makes sense. And in, in that way, I'm doing my best to get as many of these tools we talk about having them in our tool belt so that we can pull them out and get, so I can help save time for those people, mm -hmm. especially because yeah. they don't have time. Yeah. Professionals. To learn, yeah. To learn it all from scratch themselves. You know, like oh. we talked about a minute ago. Yeah. It's yeah. better to pick up a, pick up a tool than to yeah. uh, well, develop parent, it yourself. You're a parent <laughs> and you're a full-time worker. Like you have no time on your hands you have no time ever. with everything yeah. getting more expensive Ugh. it's even more um more difficult so um as as a coach um i have um i've done what i can to provide coaching um and i give it away a, more often than not uh when people need it because it's what i love to do um, but I do have like coaching plans for three months and six months um, for people to be a part of that. What I'm going to start doing to make it more available to professionals is I'm going to start doing a learning series on LinkedIn and just do like 10 minute nuggets. And, um, and then once a week, and then I'll have hot seat coaching afterwards on a, a place for people to sign in on so that that's not out there for everybody in LinkedIn to see when you're getting. And what I mean by hot seat coaching is you have a question, you send it to me, and then I'll meet with you in that Zoom session and answer it in a in a group um, in a group coaching session so hmm. that everybody can nice. learn together and then we can keep moving forward. Um, but so there is going to be like that free coaching and these tools in the tool belt to help you. Um, as you're moving forward in your professional career. Neat. Awesome. 
Well, I, we are, we're over our time. So I want to, I know that we could keep going forever, I feel like, but, um, I just want to thank you, Marie, for being here, for being, being willing to be on the podcast with me and my dad and talk about your journey and share that with the world so that someone who needs to hear it, hears it and, um, either, just doesn't feel alone anymore or is motivated to then advocate for themselves, forget the help that they need or want, um, or maybe even for their kid. So thank you so much for being willing to share that with the world. And, uh, yeah, we'll have to have you back on sometime. I'd love that. Thank you guys so much for having me. Yeah. Great getting um, to know you. So good a little to meet bit. you, Papa Rick. We got to <laughs> talk again. <laughs> got to. All right. All right, friends. We'll see you next week. Be well. Well, I hope you all enjoyed this beautiful conversation as much as I did. There were tears, there was laughter, and so many golden nuggets for you to take with you into your parent-child relationships. You guys can find Marie on LinkedIn for her live mindset series, as well as follow her on Instagram at Coach with Marie. She's giving away a special gift for the listeners of the Relational Parenting Podcast. So text the word COACH to 469-581-2008 for a free guide to a 30-second vacation. In this episode, we also touched on the education system, and I am so thrilled to announce that we are starting a five-week series on education systems. From March 9th to April 6th, we will explore how our education system was created, where it is headed now, and how to strategize and advocate for everything from preschool to college applications. This show is intended for education and entertainment purposes only. We will discuss things like mental health, abuse, PTSD, and other potentially triggering subjects. Please listen at your own discretion, and this podcast is not intended for anyone under the age of 18.